When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We are lawyers, mothers, and hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live to our choices around marriage and family. But we have more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. Choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. Today, we are going to share a little bit of listener feedback and talk about the importance of timing in life. And in our main segment, we're going to talk about media messages. We're sort of going to approach the subject through a listener email about gun violence and the effect of violence in the media to talk about the effect of media on us on a broader, grander scale. And then, as always, we'll end the show with something to leave you inspired throughout the rest of your week. The first piece of feedback that we wanted to talk about this week came from a listener, and I couldn't tell the listener's name from the email address, but this person works in a college peer support center where students provide non-judgmental active listening to their fellow students, which I think is just a beautiful idea. And this person was responding to my story about sitting down with my husband and just crying a little bit and saying all the things I needed to say and him not responding. And here's how this listener responded to that. Volunteering at the center has shown me the value of creating a space for someone to process out loud with a witness. I say witness because sometimes I question or offer information, or try to help them along. But most of the time, I just sit there and listen. And sometimes you can see the relief on people's faces as they talk and say all of the things that they might have thought about but never said. I think as a society, we have such a confusing relationship with what we should, shouldn't, can't say, and in what context. It's not that people can't talk. We talk all day long. But there just isn't the same clarity of space about when you should talk about your emotions or what is actually going on in your head. We know to do pleasantries with acquaintances and talk about school at school or work at work. We know in theory that we can talk emotions with close friends, significant others, and family. But as relationships become more complicated, both with friends and romantic interests, we just don't have those clear lines of when we can actually talk emotion. Sometimes I feel that we just waste all of these words and interactions on nonsense in the hope that one day they will somehow escalate and become something more meaningful. So true. It's so true. When you talked about that night with Chad, I thought a lot about a moment I heard on another podcast, which I think I've mentioned before, either on here on Pantsy Politics, but Tara Sophia Moore, who I love, uh, was on Being Boss, and she was talking about how her husband and her decided that every night they're going to do, I forgot what she called it, like checking, checking in, and they give five minutes 
to each other to just listen. You do not talk. The other person just talks about their day, shares their issues. You don't try to fix it. You don't respond. You just listen. And she talked about the importance of taking emotions out of the one side of your brain and using the other side of your brain to put them into words. I think it's a lot what happens when your journaling, just something about putting your emotions into language is such a powerful act. And when someone is actively listening to you, it makes that um, that act even more helpful, empowering, cathartic. I mean, I often say that I feel like if I could teach my children how to cold call, they could get through life. But I think I might add active listening to the list. I feel like if you can cold call and active listening, you're on your way to being a successful adult. I agree with that. And I think active listening has been confused with reactive listening. Mm. A lot of times when you're taught active listening skills, you're taught to give verbal cues back and ask questions and say, what I hear you saying is blah. And I think a lot of times what people need is really just your physical presence with them. Mm-hmm. And your physical presence in that you are really present in the moment. So it's clear that you're paying attention. (laughs) But I don't think that you need to be verbalizing your attentiveness in those moments in the way that a lot of us are taught to do, at least in professional context. I think that the way that this listener framed the message is so right. Maybe that we're always struggling with fears about crossing some sort of line with people being vulnerable yeah being vulnerable and and risking them understanding that we care about them Mm. or even misinterpreting what our care is i don't know i think we're always interacting from this place of fear instead of receptivity and i also think that maybe we're afraid people are going to know that we're human too and don't know everything and that that would be really scary for us. When to me, the most freeing thing is to say, I don't know how to fix this for you, but I see you. I love you. I wish this weren't happening. What you feel is valid. Well, (laughs) and I think that what's so hard to understand is for me personally, and just especially sort of expressing something to like my my husband or a friend and realizing like, no, I need to share this and talk about this and have somebody just listen to me is that I associate it with just moments of crisis or grief when really we really need to be heard. But that's not really true. And like I think about when my massage therapist was like, I know you're having the time of your life, but stress doesn't always have to be sad. It can be fun too. And I was like, oh, tell me more. Like, and I think I get in my head that I don't need to talk about this. I don't need to share this because I've got it under control and it's not a big deal. You know, nothing terrible has happened. I'm not in this big crisis mode. But really just unloading what happens to you on a day-to-day basis, even if it's not a huge terrible crisis is still really helpful. You know, I've been thinking about this skill that I had that I've unlearned. When I was a freshman RA, so my sophomore year of college, I was a freshman RA. I felt so in touch with my active listening at that point in life and so comfortable with this idea of just witnessing and not talking back to people, but really being there for them. 
And I was thinking about how it was so intuitive to me when someone needed a hand on her shoulder, Mm. you know, or to have her hair touched or something like you could see these women who just needed their moms. And I always felt really comfortable being their mom in that moment, in that physical way that you mother, you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. And I have totally tried to unlearn that skill as an adult because that's inappropriate in the workplace, Mm -hmm. right? That's, that's not how we, and, and really most of us just don't interact with adults in that way, period. And it really takes me back to Esther Perel and that idea that our bodies know how to interact. But I think because we live in a society where abuse is so pervasive and boundaries are so frequently crossed in ways that are harmful to each other that we, we kind of go to an opposite extreme to avoid that. And Mm -hmm. we're missing that sense of connection because that's part of what happened for me with Chad too, is just, I, I was able to touch him. So I didn't need him to talk because we were, we were communicating. Yeah. I mean, I'm a very, touchy feely person. And I find myself, I'm I'm pretty comfortable being touchy feely with my female friends, even sort of like workish colleague, female friends. I mean, I don't work at like a nine to five corporate office. So, you know, but I will definitely hug the mayor. I definitely hug my other female commissioner when we leave, like stuff like that. And you do, you just forget how much that's a, you need that as a human being. Now I have three little kids, so I get a lot of physical affection. My middle child, last night we were sitting on a bench at a restaurant and he just leans in. Like he is literally leaning up against my leg the entire meal while he's eating his pizza, while he's drawing on the napkin, like just leaning in. And that, you know, I'm, even though I'm a very like cuddly person, I'm, highly sensitive to touch and noise. And so like the wallowing, this is what we call it South wallowing, wallowing. Yeah. <laughs> and it just wears me out. So like, I I've, I think that's, it's really important to me, but like, I have such a fine line. Cause like my two year old just crawling all over me and pushing and shoving and laying, Oh no, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's different with different people. I think, you know, it's all touch is different. And There is something about the women in my life who are still comfortable, like when you tell them a sad story and they reach over and grab your hand, Mm. that is distinct from your husband or your child or your mother. Like we have different qualities of energy that we bring to each other. I think I have a, a friend who's quite a bit older than I am, who's just so special to me. And she has one of the biggest hearts of anyone that I've ever met. And if I say anything about my family, you know, this relative died or something happened, she is very comfortable with just reaching over and grabbing my hand. And it's beautiful. And I get so much from that and so much more than if she tried to talk to me about it. Yeah. So I do think this person is right. We we talk a lot of nonsense. We need to shut up for the most part. <laughs> just be together. It's so true. We say as podcasters who talk all week long, but it's cool. Right. We get everybody gets what we're saying. I think that's right. And I think it would be interesting if we were together all the time in person, uh, how talky we would be. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's so funny. A few times, like, we've turned off the podcast and clearly both of us start doing email stuff. But, like, we stay on Skype. Yeah. We're not talking to each <laughs> other. But I kind of dig it. 
I do too. It's like our version of working together yeah. in an office. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk with you about something. Speaking of being all chatty with each other, I had this experience yesterday that I was, I've been thinking, I'm dying to talk to Sarah about this. Okay. So at the beginning of the year, Sarah, I know that we both had like, we're going to write down some goals and look at them every day. Right. So I have this whiteboard in my studio closet space (laughs) and my whiteboard had on it very specific goals for the year. So I had like, I want to get the manuscript for the book written and so many listeners and just goals like that. The kinds of goals that you're taught to set, you know, smart goals, they're specific and measurable, blah, blah, blah. So I look at those goals every day. And last night I was doing a Tara Brock meditation. And at some point in the meditation, it was early on, she said, think about why you're doing this. Why are you meditating right now? And then she said, answer that question as though it were the end of your life. What matters about this? And that question just lit up my brain Mm. in a way that it never has before. And I immediately was like, nothing on my board matters. (laughs) (laughs) And so I get through the meditation and I and it's late, like I had planned to do the meditation and go to bed. But I get through the meditation. I go get this uh, whiteboard cleaner because my goals have been on my whiteboard so long they wouldn't just erase. And I get it off and I rewrite them all in language that matters. And so instead of like, you know, here's how much I want to grow the podcast this year. It's like create meaningful content with Sarah. (laughs) run our business professionally, inspirationally, and aspirationally, you know? And and then I start with like, surround myself and my family with love, grace, and acceptance every day. So anyway, I didn't want to talk about goals so much as what I found really interesting about that experience was that I've heard her say things like, what's your intention for meditating a hundred times? And I've heard messages like that from other people throughout my life. There's something about timing that is really becoming a lesson for me. And I haven't quite put my finger on it yet. And this is where I think you can help me work through it. But I've just been thinking about how we dismiss things like that as trite constantly. But when you're in the perfect space to hear it and you're willing to hear it and you're willing to feel it, it can create this enormous perspective shift that you really need. And I wonder what that is. And if there's anything that you can do to ramp up your receptivity and dial down your cynicism of that stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, I think so much of it is, I know you do, it wasn't about goals, but I think it's, it's such a good way to think about timing. Like I just remember so often watching Oprah in high school And if I have one beef with all the Oprah I watched in high school, feeling like I got to find my passion, like I got to find my passion, like right now, like it has to, I need to find it so I can start living my best life. And I got to find it. But it wasn't something for me, like I had to build it, right? Like I had to, to grow and learn and understand the skills and myself and just become a person, become an adult 
mature enough and complex enough and sort of to understand what my passion was and where to serve it. And I think those sort of when you you happen upon those lessons, it's really not about that moment, about everything that's happened before that moment where you went through things and were, you know, concentrating on things and fretting about things and turning them over in your mind and building that fertile ground and laying that foundation so that when that when you heard it at just the right moment, you had everything up up until that 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 moment to understand it in a whole new level. You know what I mean? Like you have to live the life to the moment for the moment to work. I think that's so right because I also thought last night about how it's not that my goals on my board were wrong. Right. Maybe I just wasn't ready for the new goals. Right. And now I am. Yeah. I mean, I just think about, you know, when I was sitting and fretting in high school about finding my passion, uh, podcasting was not a thing. So I couldn't have found it if I wanted to. <laughs> so it wouldn't have mattered, you know, and I, I think so often that it's you you have to, you know, you have to you have to simultaneously sort of grow, develop, discover, reveal your own facets about yourself and your life and what you're interested in. And that's just not, it's not, I mean, I think there are people who the process is much shorter. And I think that there are particularly creative people. You know, I have a friend uh, who's the friend that we paid Mike Baker, who we played his um, children's music a, a couple episodes ago. I mean, I think he came out of the womb, a musician, his brain works like that. It has always functioned like that. Now, does he love the music he created in college? Side note, he wrote a song for me. I should totally play on the podcast one day. Like, he hates that music. He doesn't hate it. But, like, it's it's not reflective of his music now. So that he still has his own process. But, like, he didn't have to discover his passion. I, I sincerely believe he came. I mean, as an infant, he was probably humming. Like, that's his passion. That's his. That's the way his brain works. That's the way he functions. So I think there are people who sort of start out at different points in the path. But, you know, it's a journey for everyone. And it's I think it's with a with a society and a culture that's so focused on the end result. Um, it can feel like so much pressure, even from Oprah, who I don't really think was intending to make people feel pressure. But. The it wouldn't be worth it. It wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be anything without the journey to get there, like. And to have those moments in the timing when you when things reveal themselves about yourself or about greater truths in the universe. I mean, that that's what it's all about. We just rip ourselves off, too, because packaging is so important to us. Mm -hmm. You spend a lot of your career trying to develop your elevator pitch, right? Like oh, what, that elevator what, pitch. what do I do? And it's OK to have that. That's good advice to have it. You're great at that. You know, Sarah can tell you in five seconds what fancy politics is about and make you want to listen she'll tell you what why you want to live in paducah you know you're, it's a real talent of yours you really do want to live in paducah everybody you're comfortable with that and all of the deeper truths right i was in a meeting today when someone asked me we were talking about giving a speech and she said what would you say is really your sweet spot and i really struggled i thought this week Ukrainian history. <laughs> Next week, it'll be something else. And part of what I love about what we do now is that we do get to change gears like that constantly. And I guess that what that what that means is that my sweet spot right now in life is learning and talking about interesting things. Yeah. I mean, do I have to pick one? It's always so hard when I can feel people wanting me to tell them 
to give my elevator pitch like about myself. And I'm like, you know, I just, it's complicated. Like, I right. have a couple different jobs. I got a bunch of kids. Like, I'm totally obsessed with this place I live in. I love Oprah. I mean, I don't know. You want me to pick one thing? I can't pick one thing. I'm writing a book. I have some podcasts. Like, I, I'm an elected official. It's complicated, man. Well, and so if today is your day to hear it. That question of pretend it's the end of your life, what would have mattered? It worked for me. Got yeah. me thinking in all kinds of new directions. I mean, all the things I just listed at the end of my life is Oprah and Paducah going to matter to me? Yes. Is this podcast going to matter to me? Yes. <laughs> Are my kids going to matter to me? Yes. <sighs> well, speaking of Oprah's influence on you, I think that's an excellent segue to our main topic today, which is going to be the influence of media in our lives. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So Rita wrote into us at Pantsu Politics because we've been having pretty extensive conversations about gun violence and the changing conversation around um, guns in this country in particular. And she made a really interesting point. She talked about how she's definitely in favor of gun control, but she says, um, my concern is the shift of all blame from my side onto complete blame on the other side. For instance, you often hear the right say that banning certain guns or limiting ammo will not stop mass shootings, which is unfortunately true, but they can limit the damage. In deflecting away from their own blame, many gun enthusiasts have pointed to violent movies, TV shows, and video games that may be the cause of gun violence. I found it very disturbing that many absolutely reject this possibility. In the last week, Jennifer Lawrence shot down that notion, and the New York Times published an article that it has been proven that movies and video games do not cause mass shootings. That's probably true, but that does not mean that changing the entertainment and toy world would not save lives. And she talks about cigarettes and how the culture has changed so dramatically around cigarettes. And shouldn't Hollywood be willing to lose money to make only the bad guys use guns? Or if the hero does, making the product less accessible to children, perhaps with an R rating, if it might help save lives in the future. And shouldn't toy companies be willing to lose a lot of money by no longer making toy guns, which already get even smaller children used to the thrill of shooting someone? Unless both sides are willing to take an honest look at what they're doing to contribute the problem are also willing to make difficult decisions for the greater good, I feel we will just have a problem that will never be corrected. This is a topic I'm very passionate about, so I was very excited to to talk about this, and I thought it was an interesting um, topic for the Nuance Life because I don't really think media is political. I know that it is often a venue for politics, but I think that the idea of the influence of media in our lives is really important and powerful and goes way, way, way beyond politics. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about this, um, particularly because I was an only child and television was basically my sibling. So (laughs) so I have lots of thoughts in particular about media and children, but what do you think about the influence of media in our lives, Beth? I think it's huge. And I think we often don't recognize how significant it is. 
And I think that's the difficult part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Things are sinking in and we don't quite understand that they're sinking in as or they are. Or refuse to acknowledge it. People are so stubborn about this. Well, it doesn't influence me. Yes, they spend billions and billions and billions of dollars on commercials and advertising and television and media because it doesn't influence anybody. Come on, y'all. Yeah, it's not the character flaw I to know, be influenced really by what isn't. you're taking in. It really isn't. People act like it is, though. I think that right now we are living in such a saturated era that we have to step back and ask ourselves, what is art and what is narcissism? Mm. Because I think we're in, you know, I, I, I heard little bits and pieces of the Oscars as I was trying to fall asleep this week. And... I heard someone saying that film is this vehicle for developing empathy because film is the best way to get in touch with the human condition and to really develop empathy for someone else. And I thought that's a hundred percent true. I really believe that. And I think that is what all great art does. Yeah. Same for, same for books for sure. Books, yeah, music, mm-hmm. I mean, visual art, it, different strokes for different people, but that's what great art does, right? And I think even not great art does that sometimes. Like, I learned a lot from Family Matters, you know? <laughs> that was not a particularly amazing work of art, but it certainly created empathy in different moments. Who never, who didn't feel like DJ on Full House sometimes? just completely showing my age and the era in which I watched a lot of TGIF television. Oh, TGIF. But I feel like right now we have so much information constantly that less of it becomes about developing empathy for someone unlike us or in a situation we're not in that understanding of the human condition that's that's a new understanding and it's more just a mirror mm. and i'm not sure that that is serving us i keep coming back to this idea that there's so much information that there's no space for wisdom right right i think that's accurate and i just am particularly frustrated with the lack of concern for media's influence on our kids. Like, I absolutely think it influences everybody. I absolutely think it's important and it's the way we exercise our cultural fears and anxieties and values. I am a huge devotee of Anne Helen Peterson, who is a doctorate of celebrity studies, which I did not know was a thing or I most certainly would have gotten gone and gotten one um, <laughs> because I think she's right. It's It's all how we people think. That Kim Kardashian is shallow and stupid and doesn't mean anything. And that could not be further from the truth. The way that family um, manipulates media, the way that they produce media, the way it's taken in is hugely important to our culture and says a lot about all of us, whether we want it to or not. And I think that analysis like you said, it's not a cultural flaw. Like the idea that this stuff is that when we talk about um, Angelina and Brad and Jennifer Aniston, just like they used to talk about Elizabeth Taylor and Debbie Reynolds and, uh, and Eddie Fisher, like 
These are real things. We are doing some, the same thing over and over again. We're, we're, we're acting out these values. We're trying to teach each other what's important to us through these through celebrities and gossip and reality TV show and all these things. And if we don't think that our children are absorbing these messages, particularly when the, the, the media is not age appropriate, one of my favorite books about parenting is Nurture Shock by Poe Bronson, which is such a good book. And they do a really extensive section on t- uh, kids TV. And they talk about the development and changes with um, like Sesame Street and how one of the people, like adults' favorite favorite episode of Sesame Street is this episode where Big Bird's upset because his name is descriptive of him, but it's not a name like everyone else's. Like he doesn't want to be Big Bird. He wants to have a name like Elmo. And the adults love it. And the kids don't get it at all. It goes right over their heads. They have no idea what's going on. And how they learned over time to really talk in a way that children understood and to make sure that they came away with the messages. Like a big thing that happens in children's media with siblings is we think we're book. This concludes books. We think we're setting up these great lessons. You need to be nice to your siblings. But we spend like 75 percent of the book, TV show or movie on building the conflict and teaching kids they should fight with their siblings and like. 20% talking about how you should be nice to each other. So what do they come away with? Ah, siblings fight. And so that's what they do. Now, I'm not saying that media is not the cause of all sibling rivalry. Of course it's not. But, you know, this stuff is hugely impactful. And so I'm super protective of the media that my children take in, particularly with regards to age appropriateness. We watch, I have a real beef with those, like, Disney teen shows. I think every kid on those shows is obnoxious. So I don't let that my kid and my kids are eight. And like, I don't, my oldest is eight. I don't want him watching that stuff where they're all tweens and teens. And yuck. I mean, I watched massively inappropriate things when I was little. Like I wrote a blog post once called, I should not have been allowed to see dirty dancing. Spoiler alert. The entire plot point is a botched abortion. That was not appropriate for an elementary school child. Like, did I know it was happening? No, I didn't. But that's not the point. Like, I watched so much as a girl, you know, less than the the violence is a concern for me now as a mother of boys. But as a child growing up, I realized, like, I took in way too much romantically driven media. And the message I got was all that matters is having a boyfriend. All that matters is that a man sees you as valuable. I mean, I was obsessed with Dirty Dancing and Gone with the Wind. And I see how differently Griffin interacts with media you know, he watches Harry Potter. He reads all the Harry Potter books. And like, especially when he was really little, we started reading the first one when he was probably five. And he was just, he inhabited it. Like he wasn't just consuming it the way I did. Like I was sort of, I knew Johnny Castle was important and I wanted to dance with him, but like, I didn't really know why. Like I know, I knew Scarlet and Rhett, like I wanted Rhett to want me the way that I wanted a man to want me the way Scarlet, Rhett wanted Scarlet, but I didn't really know what that meant. You know, like I just didn't, whereas he's creating worlds and he is, it's like he has this access available to him when it's age appropriate. You know, my littlest one will be like, Daniel Tiger is my buddy. You know, like he, they, they have access to it when they understand the world, when the world is like sort of age appropriate and it's not too mature and they're not sort of stretching. I just feel like it, it allows them to inhabit it in a way and understand it and grow appreciation for how you can build that empathy through art, how art can really great art and culture can be so consuming. And, you know, I just, when it's, when it's super mature, 
too mature for them or it's too violent. I just work because I, I think the drive is to inhabit inhabit that world, and so when they're inhabiting a world that's not age appropriate, I just worry about what the the long term impact of that will be. I mean, I survived Dirty Dancing, but just barely. Yeah, I agree. Somewhere along the way, Jane heard the song Timber, you know, Kesha and um, Pitbull, and loved it. Okay, and she went to listen to it all the time. And so she has it on the other day, and she what she does is she turns on music, and she does round-offs all over her house and backbend kickovers and cartwheels. It's great. It's fun. She burns off a lot of energy. Ellen does somersaults. They have a blast. So this music is playing, and I've heard this song before, but I've never really paid attention to it. And all of a sudden, I hear Pitbull say, she says she won't, but I bet she will. I lost my mind. I'm sure there are lots of other lyrics in that song I wouldn't like if I paid attention to them. (laughs) But she said she won't, but I bet she will. I was done, right? Because I thought, here is my seven-year-old listening to a song about rape culture. I'm Kesha, who has her own bad history of that. And, you know, I'm not mad at Pitbull and Kesha, but I was mad at myself. So from now on... I instituted a decree that we would only listen to the Kids Bop version of there Timber. You Thank you, Kids Bop, yeah. for making age-appropriate versions of these songs that they hear on the radio and love. But it made me think a lot about it, – it was like this moment of, oh, my goodness, what else am I not seeing? What else is just kind of passing me by but seeping into – and, you know, Jane at seven doesn't know what that means – but it's like one little piece of all of these pieces that stack up over time. And I don't know what they amount to, but I know that no one ever told me that professional women don't have curly hair, but I sure learned that somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one ever told me just lots of things that I have learned over my life. And then I'm trying to unlearn as I realize that the world is more malleable than all these rules in my head. I think all of us are working from a script created by the images that come to us. And that's even more intense now that celebrity can just mean like this person you follow on Instagram who has a life that you're envious of. Oh, Lord. I just I teach yoga and I think yoga on Instagram is one of the worst things to happen to yoga. Now, there are many exceptions to that. and I mean, it's like a whole universe. It's a whole universe. And there are some people who do wonderful work. I love to see people showing, here's how you do a pose with a chair, for example, you know, if, if it's not accessible to you. But this idea of just bendy, willowy people doing their bendy, willowy things People come to class for the first time and they've been following someone and they want to look like that person in the pose. And I I will always just tell people, okay, now we're going to do this and we're not doing it for Instagram. We're doing it to feel the backs of our legs. So when you feel the back of your legs, stop because you're not going to get a prize for reaching your toes here. And in fact, what you could get is an injury, you know, and everybody laughs and it's kind of a good icebreaker. Also, everybody knocks it off. You know what I mean? And you see people start to practice more safely. But I think that those images, whether it's a yoga pose or it's a picture of, you know, 
some flowers and a cup of tea and a journal out. Perfectly and it's also effortless. Lit. Right? It's like you can tell that a professional designer spent some time creating this effortless casual scene. <laughs> it, it's we're just absorbing all this stuff all the time. My life needs to look like this. And that's not inherently bad. And we shouldn't necessarily stop doing those things. But some awareness about that, I think, is really critical. Well, because it's aware. It, awareness is incredibly critical because some of the messages we're absorbing really suck and we need to look hard at those. Some of the messages, you know, it's hard enough not to compare yourself with the person on the mat next to you in real life, much less if you have a gallery of images of people on yoga, of people on Instagram doing yoga, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, I think about in particular that, you know, the cultural messages we send about race and gender, um, especially through media. I was thinking recently, because there was a moment in the Oscars where um, one of the montages, somebody made this point. I think it was the guy from The Big Sick. He said, you know, they were talking about the growing growing diversity inside media. And he said, you know, I've been watching media meant for straight white guys my whole life, and I enjoyed it. So you can enjoy some of the media that's meant for me. And that was a message I heard from Tracy Clayton, um, one of the co-hosts of Another Round at Podcast Movement a couple years ago. She basically said, like, look, you guys, we've been watching white media our whole lives, and we like some of it. And so you can watch black media. It's not just meant for black people. Like, you can watch it and listen and enjoy it. And that really affected me because I had totally absorbed the cultural messages that if this movie is filled with black faces or this television is filled with black and brown women or people or whatever, it's not for you. And when she said that, I like really took a step back and thought, oh my God, she's right. And so I sort of went out of my way to expand the type of media I took in and now totally obsessed with Insecure on HBO. I think Atlanta is 10 kinds of brilliant. And I'm so glad I just took a beat and thought like, no, this it's this is stupid. Like, of course it's meant for me. Their experience is different from mine. And that's the point. Like, that's the beauty of engaging in media is not just so that you can get your own values and your own experience are sort of reflected back to you over and over again, but that you can inhabit somebody else's world, especially somebody that looks different from you. And I think if we don't think about the media we take in, what it is saying, and that and its effect on us and our kids – we're just really, really missing the bigger picture, pun intended. Well, I think that what is a little bit political about this and what gets to Maggie's email about gun violence, too, is that because we're just having ourselves, we can select things that only reflect ourselves back to us now because there's so much choice, right? So I can go out and choose who I follow, which channel I like, you know, who I like on that channel, I can find what I, the precise thing that I want to see at any moment, anytime, anywhere. And I think because of that, we're no longer really consuming media as much as being consumed by it. Mm -hmm. The idea is let me harden my demographic, right? So whether that is political, I mean, that's a hundred percent what far left and far right wing media outlets do. They're not even here to reflect back to you anymore. They're here to make sure that you stay in this demographic. 
that you're a reliable viewer, Mm -hmm. a reliable voter, a reliable constituent. That's if you look at the videos the NRA is putting out right now, that's a hundred percent what this is about. Everything Dana Lash is doing, this isn't even to reflect back to you now. It is to tell you this is what you're supposed to be thinking. But, but that's also true on Food Network and HGTV yeah. and, and, and everywhere else. Oh, man, else. we could do an entire podcast on HGTV. I could we talk could. so much. There is some really, really good think pieces out there about HGTV and, like, well, what it means and how we're all sort of numbing ourselves with 10 kinds of herringbone hardwood and shiplap, shiplapping everything to make ourselves feel better. But it's like, now I've got to do this to you over and over again so that you become the shiplap segment or the at-home cook segment or whatever. I'm building you so that I can sell you more stuff. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's just that I don't think we realize that it's happening. We still think that we're buying it instead of it buying us. And when we consume a steady stream of the same stuff over and over again... We have become the product instead of the consumer of the product. And that's a far cry from art as a vehicle for empathy. Or expression. It's, I mean, it's not, you're not expressing yourself. You're just, you're, like you said, just reflecting. I mean, here's something I've been thinking about as I redo my kitchen. So when I was growing up, I think back to the kitchen I grew up in. I think about my grandmother's kitchen. I think about my friends' kitchens. And you know what none of them had? Big old massive islands Mm -hmm. with bar stools or stoves or sinks. And I think now everyone I know has an island. And I think we all live in these kitchens that look like the set. Of food TV shows. It's like we internalize that so fully. We all have these kitchens that have to, that look like we're about to, you know, the camera's on the other side and Rachel Ray's going to be there cooking with us. Like, and you start to see that and you're like, oh, dang, yeah, that really, we all internalize, like, it's not a kitchen without an island because the cameras have to be on the other side of something. Oh, there are times when I feel a sense of shame that I do not have solid surface counters. Seriously, but I like my laminate counters. I have small children. They clean really easily. They don't show any dirt. Like they're the lowest maintenance of all things. And as long as I have little kids, they're great. But I do sometimes think like, oh, if I had this person over, would they be judging my counters? That's ridiculous. (laughs) Well, and because I'm a questioner and you are too under the Gretchen Rubin Ford tendencies, like I think it's just built into me to be like, you know, I'm so often, and often it's around females, that particularly around beauty standards or clothes or homes, there's just this, well, this is how it is, right? But why? Why do we have to do it this way? Is this the best way to do it? Or is this just the way we were told everyone does it? Because that second thing is different. And media is such the vehicle for that so often, especially if you include social media. And I think we have to understand that being told means absorbing. It's not direct. It is just by volume over time. And here's the other thing that Maggie's email called to mind for me. All media, even social media in a way, 
is really about story and story is mostly about conflict Mm. and conflict is always about power. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have started to use power and maybe we're not started. Maybe we've always done this throughout human history, but I think power is this really dangerous substitute for bliss. Mm. And we're just depriving ourselves of opportunities for bliss because we're always worried about power because that's every story around us in history. Amen. You know, right. absolutely. That's part of what I love about movies like Lady Bird that aren't really about anything, but are about all these things where there's power involved, but it's not like a clash, this person versus that person and somebody wins that subtlety of the shifts in a mother daughter relationship. And even the marriage in that movie, you know, it was just about how that dynamic exists in all these relationships, but it changes over time and it evolves and it ebbs and flows in its importance instead of some conflict driving toward resolution. I like movies where we don't have to have conflict driving toward resolution, but they're pretty rare, you know? That movie is about my favorite subject, which is human beings bumping up against each other. That's what that movie's about. Any good and no, and, movies like but it's I not like about that. power in the sense of somebody winning in no. that bump. Just right? bumping it's just, up we're just, just rubbing doing each, it. just rubbing each other's rough edges off. Just the dance of it all. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we have enough of that depicted culturally um, for, I mean, that's a very specific moviegoer who's willing to hang with that, you right. know? Right. And so when you think about how are our kids being influenced by toy weapons and video games, that is a hundred percent about power. I would love to raise a generation of kids who, who know something other than power as a source of fulfillment and acceptance identity and reward. And identity. Yes. Yes. Well, I could talk about movies and TV forever, but we're going to wrap up this segment and leave you next with something to keep you inspired throughout your week. This week, I wanted to share a poem I found. I don't remember where. I just remember loving it. It is called For Julia in Deep Water by John Morris. The instructor we hire because she does not love you leads you into the deep water, the deep end, where the water is darker. Her open, encouraging arms that never get nearer are merciless for your sake. You will dream this water always where nothing draws nearer. Wasting your valuable breath, you will scream for your mother. Only your mother is drowning, forever in the thin air, down at the deep end. She is doing nothing. She never did anything harder. And I am beside her. I am beside her in this imagination. We are waiting where the water is darker. You are over your head, screaming. You are learning your way towards us. You are learning how in the helpless water, it is with our skill, we live in what kills us. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Nuanced Life. 
On Pantsy Politics, this week we'll be talking with Shannon Watts, so if you're interested in continuing the conversation about gun violence, Shannon is the founder of Moms Demand Action, and it promises to be a very important conversation. We're back with you here again next Wednesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.